What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I have an amazing guest today. I'm so excited to welcome Dan McKenzie. Hi, Dan. Hi there. What a sweet introduction. <laughs> um, he is a man of many t- gifts and talents, and uh, we're going to talk about your evolution because you're like a renaissance guy, in my, in my opinion. Uh, Dan is an Emmy-nominated songwriter and music producer who's also spent three decades in spiritual tra- self-transformation work. For the past decade, he's worked as a writer, speaker, podcast host, and personal counselor in that space. He hosts an online program and a podcast, both called Omega Male and also hosts the podcast Beyond and Above. His work is deeply rooted in anthroposophy, which I can barely pronounce, (laughs) and nonviolent communication. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. It's great to be here. (laughs) This is what's always drawn me to anthroposophy because in, in in a climate, if I were to talk about the contemporary dialogue of uh, non-religious spirituality, there's a, there's a climate and I don't mean to be othering, right? Um, because there are many paths and there are, uh, and I've explored many paths and there are many teachers. And even though, yes, anthroposophy is my path, I incorporated nonviolent communication because I encountered that. I've read Eckhart Tolle's books. If enough people who I love and respect somebody and said, you need to encounter this person or read this book, I'm open to it all. So I'm not um, a purist, but I do think we have to be discerning in our teachers, in our paths, and in our books. And there is an atmosphere. Every movement has a shadow side. And particularly where I live in Los Angeles, there is kind of a, what I call the sort of the blissy spiritual bypass. Spiritual bypassing. Right. Love and light, love and light. Yeah. And, um, and they're, very often what's sold here as spirituality and self-development is actually a kind of a form of narcissism, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and self-love, like what you were saying earlier, so powerfully, I don't know if we were taping them, but you, you to, to hearken back to that and make the point of you, you said um, that the best, the most important relationship in one's life is the relationship to self and where we came to in that little snippet was yes, but it's not because of self-interest and narcissism. It's because in healing yourself and in peeling away all the extraneous crap, you become better able to serve. And what I was saying was it's what's attracted to me, the anthroposophy and Steiner's work and the work that's become of it. And my current teacher in that um, is that the basic notion is self-development for world development, self-development for the community. It's never about I'm developing so that I can have better relationships and I can, you know, and those are worthy goals, obviously having better, healthier relationships, being a better parent, being a better friend, you know, even if you want to make more money or have a better career, I'm not going to fault anyone for wanting those things, but at the heart of it all, like if we were to boil down, like what is our mission here on the planet? It's a value that the day I die and I'm sitting on my deathbed and reflecting on my life, how much am I going to care about like that my career went better 
or, you know, that I, you know, had spent more time in a happy relationship than alone and suffering. Like what's really going to matter is what, how am I leaving this place and what did I do for others? Right. So I, I like, I think that, um, it's, and when people are choosing their spiritual path and the work that they're doing, if their focus is the kind of thing that you're talking about, and you're not an anthroposophist, it's not exclusive to that movement. But I do right. think that when I, because I like to talk about universal ideals that work for everybody. And I think that that's one I would, that's one that I would um, put on a pedestal and, and encourage the idea of a humanistic notion of service, like striving to, 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 for the benefit of all, right like we can i think that's that's a good one like love in in its highest expression honoring the freedom of others kindness i think these are things that everyone can get on board whether you're muslim or a jew or a christian or an atheist there are some things that we can all get on board with and 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 on the more subtle less religious level working for the greater good and caring for the greater good is going to it's the only way forward. We like, we get, we have limited, there's so many TV shows now. I don't know if you watch any of Dawn, but like there's so many TV shows about going to Mars and, and, and you know, and they're good shows. You know? <laughs> I haven't watched any of those. Populating the universe. And it's like, it's this, it's, they're coming from this weird fear and this recognition, like, holy crap, like we're doing so much damage. Our, our systems are so unworkable that we're going to have to leave this planet and start somewhere else. You know mm. what I mean? Good luck. Um, right. Yeah. Good luck. But if we actually, if our entire cultural ethos were, what is the best system for everybody and every living thing, yes. we wouldn't have to leave the planet and go to Mars and try to, like, is it really a better idea to try to turn a dead rock <laughs> into what we already have here? Like, right. But so, but I really, I sometimes, I think in culture, there's always indications of like what the zeitgeist is, Right all these zombie shows. It's like, there's something that we're, we're like, our fears are being kind of like uh, displayed in our entertainment and it's uh-huh. and the insanity of it. Like the insanity of like, Oh, well, let's just go to Mars and turn this dead rock and terraform it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so I, I really appreciate that you're that are on a personal level that we've come to this place of talking about that and your personal mission and, a little bit about my story um, it, as a microcosmic representation of like, let's try to do things that are good for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you help men? Because you mostly work with men, right? Well, uh, I, I'm currently, both. I mean, yeah, you do yeah. both, but yeah, I don't want to disagree with that. I'm in, I'm in the middle of a project that's focusing on men's work. Okay. Counseling. I work with women. I've actually probably worked with more women than men in the personal counseling sphere, maybe just because women are more open to it. Yeah. Um, I have worked with men. Um, and, uh, and the men that I work with, they also tend to be the the men that are a little bit more balanced in their openness, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I have been focused on, on the men's work because I, it's sort of the cultural moment. Uh, I think, and I'm a man, it's sort of like, well, I'm a white, I'm a privileged white guy. Like I can certainly operate. I can certainly work with men. You know what I mean? Like I, and I like working with women. I want to work with everybody and I don't, so it's not a self-limiting thing, but uh, that's just the, this project I'm in the middle of. And um, so if your question is how am I working with them in that regard, I don't want to 
jump the gun. Well, well, no, it was it was more about helping helping bring men to the table, helping bring men to the tables. Uh, you know, because this is this is why I have talked to a lot of men in this podcast. I mean, I have talked probably talked to more women, but uh, because I want. I want all men to feel comfortable talking about this stuff. You know, I mean, this is why I, I really love these conversations because I want all of this to be normalized. You yeah. know, I don't want anybody to feel a sense of they have to hide or pretend or, you know, be that stoic, you know, I got everything figured out because none of us have it all figured out. Who are we kidding? Yeah. So why, why are we pretending? Why don't we just be real? Why don't we actually talk and express what's going on with us and, and create these communities like you have done with Omega Male, creating these communities where people feel safe to come and be, be true yeah. and help create that sense of allness. We're all in this together, people. It's, inter- it's an interesting question. And I think there's sort of multiple answers. On, on the most basic level, I think I'm trying, I'm doing, continuing to do my work on myself mm-hmm. and trying to, to live the example of what I think is healthy. Right. Not, not always succeeding, you know? I don't pretend right. to be some kind of uh, sage who never... <laughs> I'm perfect! <laughs> I'm always wary of people that, that, like, you know, I'm a, when yes. I, reached, uh, I was, I have achieved my mastery in this and it's like, okay. <laughs> I always um, say I'm a mess, sort of like my hair. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a masterpiece. I got this from someone who was talking about being a masterpiece in progress, and I like that a lot. Um, but even a work in progress is fine for me. But um, but I'm, so I'm trying to, and so what that means for me is um, in my one-on-one relationships with men, in my group relationships with men. So I, I go hiking with a group of men every every weekend. I try to. Um, you know, you find a way where um, you are trying to lead by example and not be a corrector. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to be whatever the wokeness of male incorporation of the feminine and balance. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be this um, act, you know, an activist that basically puts people off. I know enough from being a vegetarian that, it's like some people you don't even want to have a conversation about it. I never try to convert right. anybody to being a vegetarian. You know what I mean? Right. There's some people that when they hear you're a vegetarian, they're just offended by that. Like I mean, not so much anymore, but back in the nineties, you know, it'd be like, Oh, you're a vegetarian. I guess you, you know, it's like, you think you're special. So you have to, you kind of have to know your audience, you know? And I, so I think that a lot of the guys I hang out with who are friends of mine are these pretty evolved, like sensitive guys. They might not be like doing the same kind of work or be like, it's not their career or their uh-huh. path. But so when I talk to those guys, it's a little bit easier. I'm still maybe pushing an edge a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. talking about certain things in a certain way or, um, and trying to evoke conversations or trying to like, you know, uh, but also I'm still talking their language. I can still speak dude, you know, and it's, right. it's like, um, but just trying to be conscious about how I'm communicating and, and it's a little trickier when I'm talking to people that don't, that aren't preaching to the choir. You know what I mean? Like it's one, it's, it's no big feat to, to draw a little bit more out of vulnerability out of my friends who are already these incredible evolved guys. It's, it's harder when you're talking to the people that I think have not had the benefit of the backgrounds 
the education, whatever it has informed, you know, the, the sort of more along the path men uh, to be the way they are. And in that, and in the case of talking to people like a friend of mine who attended one of the Omega male things said, you know, there's a lot of people I know that would really benefit from the stuff you're bringing here. But the minute you say toxic masculinity or male yeah. privilege or patriarchy, no matter what justification, they shut down. Yeah. It's like the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, so it begins with not using terminology that ends conversation. That's divisive. Yeah. But then continues into, so I think I've just sort of like, I'm trying to kind of master the skill on an individual basis or even in a group. Um, uh, if I happen to be giving in a presentation or, you know, uh, to kind of just suss out what the climate is and what, you know, how people are talking, because sometimes like without being too calculated about it, like maybe I need to break something down in real dude speak. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I have to explain to some guy, uh, that he's, uh, has not had the feminine nurtured within him, I'm not going to say, well, like your problem is the feminine within you has not been nurtured. Cause like, right he's going to think I'm coming on to him. Like, that's like how, where guys go. Like some guys think like, so, but if I say, if I say, if I have him talk about what's happening in his relationship, you know, and I gradually talk about like, Oh, you seems like you have a problem that needs to be solved. Right. Cause if you don't solve the problem, you get, you know, I'll be scientific. I'll say, you know, I read a study that said where once a couple gets to the point, like any, almost any emotion is, just, is the, won't thwart a relationship. But when a relationship gets to a point where people have contempt for each other, it's over. It's a divorce. Right. There's no coming back from contempt. So right. if I'll say like to a guy, well, you know, I read a study that says once there's contempt, it's over. So you want to kind of monitor where you're at. If you're drifting towards contempt, then you have a problem. You're basically going to be facing divorce. So you have to solve this problem. These are very masculine terms, right? You have a right. problem to solve right. it. Statistically right. speaking, you know, and then. Just the facts, man. Right. Just the facts. Right. And then, <laughs> but eventually you do get to the, to the richer stuff. And instead of saying the feminine, I'll say like, you know, it seems to me what's really missing here. It, it's causing problems is a connection in your conversation and the way that you yeah. communicate with your partner. And maybe yeah. if she understood what your emotions are better. And if you, and when you got frustrated, instead of clamping down, like, even though it feels um, scary to do so, I won't say vulnerable. Like, it seems like you're risking something or you're taking a risk. Mm-hmm. I can understand that I'm risking something, you know, uh-huh. the risk. Cause I've, I've learned that like, just like I, and I had a whole episode on vulnerability in Omega male. And it was like, you just have to sometimes break things down for men in their in their mind. Right. So if they they've taught, they've been taught to think that vulnerability is weakness, right. Cause military, right. militarily speaking, vulnerable means I'm subject to it. I'm open to attack. Open to attack. I don't exactly. want to be open to attack. Right. So right. that's, I don't want to be vulnerable. Right. But if you explain that in relationship terms, it means you're willing to take a risk. You're placing yourself voluntarily into danger like a guy can understand that, but like, oh, that's bold. That's courageous. I want to be vulnerable because vulnerables, I want to become cool with being cur- courageous. Right. So if you get to a man to understand that, like, this is emotional courage, dude, be courageous, open yourself, take the risk of rejection, take the risk that you'll be judged by your partner for, ha- you know, for having a fear or a sexual fantasy that you don't, you know, like you're being courageous. And like, 
So I, I, tr- I'm, I tr- I'm trying to like, I try to tailor the way I communicate to whatever will turn on a switch. You know what I mean? I think that's the easiest answer. That's brilliant. It's a conversation with every person, you know? That's with brilliant. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation. One hour and 20 minutes so far. For me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, I, you know, it's just, at some point I realized, I mean, there was a, I didn't, I've been studying self, I've been interested in spirituality, not in a religious way, but like, what's the bigger picture in life and how does it really work? Mm-hmm. And what is like, mm-hmm. do I have a soul? And, you know, and, and, and with that healing and, um, self-transformation since I was, I think in my teens, I mean, I always, I always had a sense of magic about the world. Um, and I, 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 you know, I mean, compared to other people had much, much, uh, harsher experiences as children. Um, uh, I, I was born into a lot of privilege, but I did have my own process to bear. I had a, my parents got divorced and I had a, a, a very difficult, uh, in, in some ways, abusive stepfather. And I lived in a different country. And so I had, uh, I had some tra- childhood trauma, you could say. So I've been invested in this work for a long time and doing it, but I don't, I didn't feel empowered really. I mean, aside from like having one-on-one conversations casually with people about their relationships, uh, until you know, I'm 54 now, like 10 years ago, when mm-hmm. I first started giving some presentations, you know, and I got more uh, directly involved with the Anthroposophical Society in New York and would sort of co-host a meditation group. It took me a long time to feel like, you know, I, I, like I'm qualified. Like I got really into yoga when I was... Um, I'm still not qualified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it became irrelevant. It became irrelevant. It's like... Is it, is it useful for me to do it or not versus yeah. am I qualified? Like I, I, here's, a, here's an interesting uh, representation of this. So I got really into yoga when I was about 25 and I'd been talking about yoga since I was, my mother took me to a yoga class when I was 10. Really? When I, well, it was a bunch of like women wow. and leotards, you know, wow. do yoga. Yeah. In this, I did a yoga class probably in 1975. Um, like I was doing the candle and I knew a handful of poses, but I didn't really, and I, all through college, I thought I want to get into yoga. I want to get into yoga. This is way before there was a yoga craze. So I, I finally did take it for the, I got into it in, let's say 1990, 89, 90 Uh in a dingy basement in New York somewhere. Um, and I got so into it. I just like dove in for a couple of years. And, And when I moved back to California, I was like, at a good enough level, uh, I think to, to start teaching. And I actually started doing some private teaching and I was going to get certified somewhere. And, and I had a handful of clients, but it, at the time I was like, you know, I don't think I'm, I think if I was going to be a yoga teacher, I really need to be pure. And by the way, I was not doing drugs or alcohol. I was macrobiotic and, and vegan for the year when I was doing this. Wow. And yet I felt like, you know what, it's being a yoga teacher is being a spiritual teacher maybe I'm still more qualified to be a musician because I'm not really spiritually pure enough to do this yet. So I was like, I'm not going to do this. And yet, like, I didn't know that like everyone and their mother was becoming a yoga teacher. And half of these famous yogis were like, you know, seducing all their students and drinking a 
a right. double espresso on the way to class and, and yell, flying the bird at people out of their cars. Um, so I, I had a sense of uh, reverence about any kind of work that was like this. And so I, I, you know, it wasn't until I was in my mid forties, I was like, maybe I could write something about this and maybe I could do a presentation. And then the presentations led to someone asking me, Oh, would you consult my daughter? She's having a problem with this, you know? And so I gradually started realizing, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. I think I can, I think I could, I can do this to some degree, you know, and it's still yeah. not my full career. I'm just still like a lot of the bread and butter for me is uh, producing music, but, but it's been such a, a, a love of mine um, to sort of build a second career with it, you know, and, and um, regardless of how that develops and becomes my absolute main focus, it's, it's sort of, I'm in, in between right now. Um, but all this to say that if I had just waited to feel like I was perfect and enlightened and as elevated a being as I have the reverence for some of my teachers for, it might be, I might be dead before I could teach right. anybody help anybody right. when you have all the answers solved yeah so i sort of feel like there is a bit of a crisis of too many 20 year old life coaches like because uh, maybe they don't know yeah you know but on the yeah. other there is really a need for people uh doing dedicated heartfelt work for in some realm or another in in terms of helping people transform in themselves and there's enough need for that, that like, it's a little bit of an all hands on deck. So I feel like, like you said, what, whatever, whether you're saying I'm a mess, I'm incomplete, I'm not ready, I'm unqualified, but like, you know, but let's do what we can yeah. in our imperfection, because we are growing through it where, you know, to some degree, and if we're not helping anybody and our work doesn't resonate, then at some point you stop doing it. But if it does gain some kind of traction and you're helping people, then you've done something. And maybe yeah. you weren't perfect along the way. Maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe when the day I die, um, if I'm blessed with the kind of genes that my... 99-year-old uh, uh, uncle. My 90, yeah, my grandmother died at 103 last year. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry. And wow, yeah. that's amazing. Oh, no, she was. she had a full <laughs> life. But... You know, I doubt, I doubt that I'm going to be in my deathbed going like, yep, I'm perfect. I did it. I'm, I'm a hundred percent fully cooked human being. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's possible for anyone. And I, I know some people yeah. I dominate for that, but like, we can we don't have time to wait for that, you know? So we just no. have, to, we have to do what we can. So, I mean, I guess that's a message for people out there that, that are interested in this realm. Not everyone needs to be a teacher, but like, to take on the challenge of doing your own work, to um, take on the challenge of making your work more rigorous. If you are inclined towards working with people or if you're already working with people, how, how can I work in a way that's less focused on trying to get more clients and get more money and more focused on how can I be a better service? Yeah. I don't know. Those, I think just those questions are worth holding and, and we, and, and in our rigor and in our renewed dedication, we also balance it with like, the humility and like the accept self-acceptance of like, I'm going to, I'm going to screw up and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to keep peeling off another layer. I yeah. think that is common to any real rigorous spiritual path, at least as I've experienced it and as I've observed it. And the people I've learned from is if you're really on a path, you're not constantly thinking about how much better you are. I mean, there is a recognition of growth and that, that like going to the gym capacities are built, but there's every time you think, Oh, I'm, I'm really rocking this now that you encounter that could be deep in a meditation or in a moment in your life. And when you say something in a relationship where you were just met with your own shadow and you go, Oh, 
And there's that room that still isn't that interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And it's humbling, you know, but that's, that's the beautiful part of it. It's like, it's this balance of here. There's a, there's a quote, another quote that I love from a musician that applies spiritually. There was this guy that in college that was an incredible piano player, like world-class jazz player. And I was just learning how to play guitar and like very fumbling in my performances. And I said, Steve, like, like what, what's your secret? You know? And he said, you got to think that you're suck and you got to think that you're the best in the world. Oh, it was like this weird, simple way. And I had to kind of translate that into my own language. But the way I took that was, is there has to be enough honest, humble self-criticism so that you're willing to identify what needs to be transformed and keep growing and keep growing. That's how you get better. But when it's time to perform and you're stepping on stage, that's not the time you're thinking, oh, my pitch is a little shaky. I and suck. That's the time where you have to, that's when you step into, I'm bringing it, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that's it. So that's a great little picture for what we're talking about, you know? Yeah. It's, we are all, we are all both the darkness, you know, the dark shadow aspects, the things we struggle with. And we're also the light and the beauty and the love and the kindness and the compassion, understanding, acceptance, forgiveness. We carry all of those within us. So, you know, acknowledge them, learn from them, grow from them and keep showing up as a good human being. You know, I I said to somebody yesterday or this morning, like, I hope when I get to the end of my life that I say I lived well, I experienced a lot of love in my life. You know, I have meaningful connections. I feel like I helped people or, you know, I help bring some joy or, you know, whatever along the way. I, I hope that I showed up um, more often than not in my light aspects, yeah. <laughs> you know, shining light into the, into the world while also struggling with my own stuff. Absolutely. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. All right. So, Dan, this has been a fascinating conversation. And I know I could just spend hours and hours talking to you. <laughs> so thank you. Um, the last question that I that I always ask my guests is, how do you define real love? Since this podcast is called Wake Up to Real Love. How do you define real love? That's a wonderful question. And that's a question that I'm probably going to meditate on for the rest of the day. But um, uh, put on the spot, I would say lo- real love is love that has no self-interest. Real love is the love that just is an admiration and appreciation and valuing of the, the loved one and that only wants good for that being. That's real love. The minute there's an element of like, this person makes me feel good about myself. Right. Right. Or this person makes me happy because they make me laugh. Like, I'm not saying that that's not a wonderful thing, but love, 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 real love is like my heart radiates to you and wants to support and celebrate and nurture you just because of who you, the beauty of who you are. Your, your daddy love for your little son. Yeah, but my ideal is to bring that like to my relationships yep. and friendships and yep. you know, into some aspect of that. Again, I don't pretend that I'm like uh, acing this with the entire world, but 
but that's the ideal. That's beautiful. Great. All right. So how can, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Uh, yeah, I'm a little old school, but like in, in that, like, uh, you know, I'm still waiting to, there's two or three different websites I need to set up that aren't there yet. Are you I, still using a rotary phone? Yeah, I'm not, yes. <laughs> I, have a, I have a bucket with cold water in the back that I take a shower under. Um, I have, well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to tweet. Uh, so on Twitter, I'm um, Omega Male Says, S-A-Y-S, Omega Male Says, um, on on Instagram, I'm Dan McKenzie with a Y, D-A-N-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-Y, or hat, whatever, the at. Um, right. And then uh, on Facebook, that's probably the easiest way, like good old-fashioned old people Facebook uh, under Daniel McKenzie, uh, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Um, you know, if you link me in, in some way. Uh, I will. That. I will. And, yeah. And my music is often on Dan McKenzie. So it's me, but it's a different page. Uh, and that's it. Next yeah. time I'm going to have you play for us. Oh, sure. That would be great. I'd love it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm totally open to it next time if you want to do part two, but yeah, I think the easiest, easiest way, uh, to, to, uh, to contact me would be through Facebook friend me on Facebook, Daniel McKenzie. If you're having a hard time finding me, there's usually a picture of me and my, there's, there are several Daniel McKenzie's. Yeah. So it's, uh, if you, if you Google Daniel Taylor McKenzie, T-A-Y-L-O-R, uh, I don't think that's how my name's listed, but I'll come up under that. Uh, but if you see a, a bald guy or a guy with a really cute little two-year-old, <laughs> that's me. But you'll link to it. So, yeah. yeah I will. So, yeah. so anyone wants to just cl- click the link and DM me, that's the best way. And, and oh, and also follow the Omega Mail on, on wedeepen.com. It's hosting my Omega Mail. Um, I don't know how much longer we're going to continue it, but we have at least a few sessions left. And wedeepen.com is a wonderful platform yeah. um, for all kinds of programs. So I would encourage people to check out wedeepen.com and yeah. Omega Mail. And, cool. and, pot, and, the, and uh, if you're curious about anthroposophy, there's two episodes of the uh, Beyond and Above podcast. And I have a bunch of um, episodes in the cooker on Omega Mail. And that's about to be launched with some uh, really wonderful uh, interviews. So look out for the, the podcast Omega Mail coming soon. Yeah. So whenever you're around, Dan, you'll have very deep and meaningful, fascinating, interesting, circuit, circuitous. Is that what is that the right word? Circuitous, peripatetic, and uh, <laughs> generally all over the place. But wonderful conversation. Anthroposophical uh, dialogue. That too. That too. <laughs> So, uh, so for the listeners, you know, I hope that you have learned so much. I mean, we went lots of places in this conversation, which was amazing. Uh, so if you loved this episode, you know, please subscribe. And if you feel like, you know, some people who would benefit from this conversation, please share it with your friends, write, write reviews. We're trying to spread the love all throughout the world. So as many places as you can spread it, spread it. And, and for me, uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. I'm also on Clubhouse hosting, co-moderating a bunch of conversations about this kind of stuff. So come find me um, and on you know Facebook, same, same, same. So anyways, thank you so much for being here. I would love to have like way more conversations with you. You're awesome. <laughs> Let's do it again. You were, you've been yeah. a wonderful host and a great conversation partner and I'm totally up for doing it again. So let's do it again sometime. And, and, uh, and thanks for the opportunity. It's been really yeah. great. And a good, yeah. 
good use of my time. You know what I mean? It's just it's certain, I, we set an intention and I feel like we met the intention. It feels like time well spent, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So listeners every day, wake up to more and more real love. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up To Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.